0: Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer, and my guest this week is Nick Ga- Ganjitano. And uh, before I get started with Nick, I just want to make a couple of quick practical announcements uh, that I haven't had a chance to make. Um, One is that if you're watching this on YouTube, we're we're recording this in high definition, 720p, and you can switch to 720p and then expand it to the full screen of your monitor. Uh, So it's more like watching it on TV, you don't have to watch it in a little window. That's why we're doing it in high definition. Uh, Second thing is that uh, my big accomplishment this week was I managed to install a uh, automated uh, mailing list system on, on batgap.com, so if you'd like to receive an email every time we post a new interview, uh, you can sign up there and uh, just your name and email address and uh, I'll be able to notify you. And the third thing I just want to say is that um, once in a while I get a complaint from somebody that I talk too much during these interviews, and uh, I want to confess that I'm guilty of that, and, <laughs> and I'm working on it. Um, it's like Larry King said, if I'm talking I'm not learning anything, so I try to keep my mouth shut. But keep in mind that this is a, a long form uh, show, it's not, we're not, we don't have a time constraint, we sometimes go two hours, and so it sometimes turns into a bit of a discussion rather than just short questions following by long answers and guests sometimes say they appreciate that because it gives them a chance to rest their voice for a second so having said all that uh welcome nick thank you for uh taking the opportunity to do this
1: hi rick thank you thanks for having
0: me yeah now um when i first uh you know was contacted by your your lovely wife Penelope. Um, I looked on YouTube and uh, looked up your name and what a person finds if they do that is um, a bunch of videos by a, a guy giving spiritual talks and some videos of a football player kicking 45 uh, yard uh, field goals for Penn State. And with a little bit of investigation you discover that this is the same guy. <laughs> so, so that's a pretty cool juxtaposition that you don't ordinarily come across um <laughs> what were, did we were, you, did, were you like injured in a football play and you're a walk-in now or uh, how did this
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh well Rick um actually you know I, I I did I played with them and I injured my knee back uh you know about a year or so out of the out of the uh collegiate league uh after and uh being with Detroit I went with Detroit uh, Lions for a little while I injured my knee while I was there and so I never really followed through on the uh rehabilitating and and uh, you know trying to make another go at the uh, the pros I just um, uh, went into business and did that for for about four years or so so yeah I never really felt but I coached I ended up coaching for about 25 years
0: Wow. Well, as they say, you know, NFL stands for not for long.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. You make that's your
0: money until your body gets
1: destroyed. <laughs> yes, that's, that's true. Everybody seems to take a beating.
0: Yeah. My cat just joined us. It's very oh. you don't see this on Oprah Winfrey. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so uh how did you uh, segue from football player to uh, spiritual teacher, or did somehow those two things overlap?
1: Well, I, um, I actually, when I was in college, uh, one of the things that they suggested I do was take a sports psychology class, uh, and so I took a sports psychology class and I began to practice relaxation, Jacobson's relaxation, and uh, began to drop into very deep states of uh, meditation without um, really knowing why or how. Um, I had always had uh, some exposure to, uh, I guess you would say, Eastern spirituality. I had a um, the autobiography of a yogi was on my bookshelf as a child. I didn't even know what it really was. Hmm. Um, but I had had a vision of uh, a uh, the sage Ramana Maharshi uh, at a very young age. Wow. Um, and so um, not really being able to piece any of this together until much later. Um, once I took that uh, uh, class, it just I just began. I fell in love with uh, with meditation, and I uh, got away from it after college for some time. Went into business and that kind of thing, but I but I didn't come back to it until after uh, um, I had gone through teaching, coaching, being in the business world for a while. I guess I had to go through that and uh, and experience whatever that was, and become a speaker and that kind of thing, a public speaker and, and motivational speaker. And then just just um, went through a divorce and came out of that um, where I, uh, I found meditation again and it just seemed to take to water and so then eventually students just um, began to come to me after I had a Satori that, that was uh, very profound uh, some time ago and then students just started to come to me and, I, and that's how it just kind of happened um, spontaneously like that. I didn't really know I had quit teaching school. After 10 years, and I just got a little um, disenchanted with the educational uh, direction, and and uh, so uh, I didn't really know what I was going to do. And then when that uh, satori occurred, um, that shift, I I just started wandering and um, traveling and studying different teachers and that kind of thing, and uh, and that was it. And then they just it just seemed to reverse, where I ended up being the teacher somehow through people asking questions and that hmm.
0: stuff. Yeah, well there's a lot to unpack in what you just said. Um, first of all, um, how did you end up with a with a copy of Autobiography of a Yogi on your bookshelf when you were a kid? Were your parents uh, into this kind of thing?
1: My father was uh, very open-minded. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he had a friend who uh, was um, exposed to a, a teacher named Kirpal Singh way, way back, and mm-hmm. um, he gave my, uh, my father um, a book called The Impersonal Life, if you've ever read that, by Joseph Benner, and also uh, The Autobiography of a Yogi, and so they were just sitting there, mm-hmm. um, you know, apparently, I don't know whether or not my father ever read them at the time, but they, they seemed to be there, and I have recollection of them, but never really, just pictures of Paramahamsa Yogananda. Um, you know, so you um,
0: didn't read it either. It was just sitting there on your shelf.
1: Yes, yeah, just sitting there. I see.
0: Yeah. And then, uh, how old were you when you had this vision of Ramana Maharshi?
1: Oh gosh, I was probably about eleven. huh, yeah. So, so
0: uh, you were just kind of like, how did that happen? You were just out playing baseball or something, and all of a sudden this this guy <laughs> popped into you.
1: <laughs> Actually, uh, no. I um, I I just it was it's very vague. Uh, the memory was very vague. It was just this. Um, very vivid picture I was I don't even remember to be honest with you where I was I just remember that when I first saw him as an adult I remembered that I had seen it as a child as a child as a flash it was more like a um, almost like it was a memory mm. uh, more than anything and then of course later on I, I came to realize uh, after um, uh, when I was in a in a in a state of I guess you would say relaxation that um, I came face to face with him as a, as an adult with another person with me where I actually met him and spoke with him. Wow. Uh, or he spoke to me, I guess you mm-hmm. could say. I didn't really speak, but he didn't say anything in words. It was just a it was a silent
0: transmission uh,
1: transmission to me um where he was telling me to uh, to share this teaching. Huh. And there's
0: a he seems to get around i mean there there's another guy i interviewed uh, named bert harding and he was walking down the street in toronto one day and and this man's face flashed in his mind's eye and then sometime later it could have been a year or two he was in a bookstore and he all of a sudden saw ramana maharshi's face on a book and he said that's the guy i saw you know and uh, he ended up you know starting to read avidly and 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 so on one thing led to the next but um so with you Let's get things in the right order, just for the chronology's sake, for because the story is interesting. Um, so you had this, uh, you know, this flash of a vision as a kid, which you didn't remember until you were much older. You also alluded to, you know, learning the Jacobson relaxation technique and having very deep experiences. And uh, you also, you know, referred to a Satori experience. So I want to, I want to kind of go into all those. But uh, which order should we go into them in?
1: Okay. Well, I guess we could start with them uh, um, we've already discussed when i had the glimpse uh, uh... in childhood i really wasn't even aware of it but the jacobson's relaxation occurred my sophomore year in college okay. and that may be a good place to to pick up because that was really the only type of relaxation i had ever really been acquainted with um, because i was very athletic
0: was that the thing where you relax each part of your body sequentially you know yeah. going through it's, the whole body
1: yes you tense yeah. it and then you relax it okay and certain cities uh, began to develop as a result of that, which were kicking
0: forty-five-year-old um, field go- forty-five-yard <laughs> field goals. <laughs> so that's your secret, okay? <laughs> you cheated. Yeah, no, uh,
1: it was. Um, it was. It was really uh, peculiar things that were, uh, you know, that shocked me, quite frankly. Like and, what? And, well, um, like uh, not feeling like my body was no longer there. Um, like, it, like uh, almost Did... like. Seeming like it was not physical, uh, not feeling my body in contact with the uh, with the uh, bed that I was actually practicing meditation on, like it had moved.
0: Would you call uh, that a city?
1: You could call you could call it, it was like a form of levitating. Uh, you could call it, but it wasn't something that it was trying to do. Also, there was a, uh, there was also what seemed to be visions of things that were very vivid. Um, they were very un- unlike a dream, mm-hmm. um, and and certain abilities to have and. Uh, and do things uh, at will. Like what? Uh, you know, um, just deciding that I would want to uh, go uh, somewhere, take a vacation, and then someone within, within seconds would ask me uh, if I would like to go. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, little teeny things like that. And then later on those cities began to uh, develop, which of course after that, at that point I had already been instructed by Ramana Maharshi um, not to uh, buy into that, not to go down that direction because they're a distraction, which I can see how I was pulled off of that path of developing those yogic um, cities because they are a distraction. Right. Um, but later on, um, there were uh, certain things like looking at a tree and wishing that it was windier when it was completely still. and. Um, and then seeing, of course, imagining that the tree would be bending because of the wind and within seconds, uh, a tropical storm wow. uh, out of nowhere came and, and uh, you know all of a sudden there were you know alerts and that kind of thing. and so. Huh. The, just seeing the connection and, and looking at the ocean and, and, and seeing it stop. Hmm. Uh, these kinds of things that were you could just see that it was just the mind. The whole thing was just a construct of the mind, and that depending on my intention, for that thought stream, well that would be the manifest reality or outcome of that and so that that was not the reality was my understanding, so I I said rather than give attention to the illusion, of form, give my attention to that which is aware of the form mm. I that, wonder
0: if you were actually causing the tropical storm or if you were anticipating it, or if if there was sort of a larger intelligence that was operating both the co- tropical storm and the thoughts in your head and that and so that larger intelligence just sort of manifested in both things, and there was a there was a congruence
1: that would be that would be a very um, accurate way of of uh, Demonstrating what th- what actually occurred, I would say as well, because at a later point that was my understanding. There really is nothing other than the self, right? And so there really is no such thing as an individual doing anything. And yet at that point in time there was the sense that I was doing it because there was still a sense of, of I, yeah. Uh, there was still a sense of doer there, and so that was uh, that was a potential distraction. It appeared at the time. Really, there's no no potential for going off track if that's not the the destiny of the body. But that was. Mm. That's where it seemed to, to be leading. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it sort of seems like as long as we perceive ourselves as having free will, we need to exercise it intelligently and ethically and wisely and so on. Mm-hmm. So, uh, okay, so you mentioned a Satori experience. You also men- mentioned receiving instruction from Ramana Maharshi. Do you mean like actual sort of one-to-one instruction on some level, or do you mean just from yes. reading, reading his books and seeing what he had to say? Both. Okay, yeah, let's oh, talk. The, let's talk about both those things. That and the Satori experience.
1: Okay, the Satori came um, after uh, I had quit teaching. Uh-huh. Um, gotten to the point where I could no longer really stay in a in, this, in a classroom. I couldn't remain there, and I quit and sold my uh, my home and went and lived in an apartment on the beach and uh-huh. was reading Osho. Uh, Every day for many, many hours, and meditating about 10 hours a day, wow. um, just just really just not really even being aware of time to a large extent. And then one day, I um, walked into the um, uh, borders bookstore, and I uh, saw the spiritual teachings of Ramana Maharshi. Um, and I was like, "Oh my God, that's the guy. <laughs> that's the guy from the, when I was young, and that's when I had the recollection. So I got the book and took it back and threw it on my bed. And I glanced over it several hours later um, and I saw a face and I began to cry mm. uh, profusely and I didn't really understand why that was occurring um, but it was very profound and uh, I just dropped into a very deep state of, of stillness and um, then I began to read it and several days later I had an excruciating headache mm. um, somewhere you know, in the center of my head. Um, and I went for a walk on the beach, uh, or uh, the boardwalk, really, near where the beach is in Hollywood Beach. And as I was walking, I took a deep breath and I relaxed. And upon that relaxation, in that that instant, there was what appeared to be more like an explosion, like a like a everything, uh, uh, where I just completely felt like I disappeared. I became the entire. Uh, non-phenomenal, uh, you know, effulgence throughout existence. And, and there was no sense of me, but there was a very profound, deep state of presence, you know, uh, awareness of now. And everything was very vivid and very clear and, and luminous. And so that was, that was a Satori. Now that lasted, that, that sense of bliss that, that came through that lasted for about nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, there was, of course, still a remnant of, of I. Uh, there, because there was a feeling that I was in bliss that I was you know that I had awakened, that I had realized, and this kind of thing, and so um there was a certain uh super ego arrogance that began to develop at that state um, and this is um, very consistent with what happens with a lot of yogis who work in the Kundalini system um, in, spiritualized
0: in, in, ego they call it
1: yes, yeah. yes, and so that was that occurred and then of course um uh, I woke up one day with uh, the thought of uh, committing suicide huh. uh, that was uh, the polarity of it um, why there was no rhyme or reason there was just all types of thoughts that the um, you know the spiritual path this spiritual path was uh, evil and uh, you know all types of uh, past Catholic conditioning mm-hmm. uh, to the effect of anything other than following the path of Jesus was the devil and this guy kind of, so all these like very profound sub uh, you know uh, uh, conscious things began to purge in hmm. a very short period of time. Even
0: though you hadn't been thinking much about Jesus or anything for a long time, but uh, mm-hmm. but but all of a sudden this stuff started to flood nothing, in.
1: Nothing. Nothing. Now now there was a period of time before that, uh, before I quit teaching, where I would watch this movie called Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, Franco um, Zeffirelli. Yeah. Oh yeah, a-
0: love that. That's beautiful.
1: Yeah, it was a beautiful depiction of Jesus, yeah. and I watched it every day for about six months. Wow! So, uh, <laughs> you know, and I'm just certain clips of him though that I had knew the exact measurements of the mm-hmm. tapes where I could go and just contemplate, and just being in the presence of that mm-hmm. was so profound and, and uh, effective. Um, it brought me into a state where I guess you could say it was my satsang at the time, mm. and and then I um, I got away from that, um, and so then the mind came in and just started creating all kinds of dualities. Uh, and I, there was a, um, a sense of uh, confusion and state of, of again then the fear came in that that I was I had become the evil one and this kind of stuff this was all just in, you know in condition into my my thought pattern at a very young age that now was beginning to purge but because there was no thought for so long when a thought did occur it became a very profound sense of my reality hmm. uh, and so I, I identified with that
0: had you gone to Catholic school as a child
1: no no oh, okay. my, my one of my parents was a Catholic the other a Lutheran and so they decided to just leave me alone hmm, but you still uh, had still
0: had plenty of guilt packed in there,
1: <laughs> there, there you yeah, was still a little bit of that in, in more more the fear of uh, what would happen if you went down the wrong path right. the, the fear of hell and, and that kind of thing but the, the fear that uh, and so it was really strange. It was more secondary, I think, uh information that had come in more so than the actual conditioning from my parents because my father my parents never really talked about it. Mm. So there really wasn't much there, but that was that was a very um intense moment and so then I from that point on I said, you know, I need to get some instruction. I need mm-hmm. to um there there's more going on here than I than I'm aware of and so I went and stayed And went with different teachers and traveled around, and and then, of course, there you know a yogi that I knew who was very conscious, uh, who I who I went and spoke with, and that type of thing. And so there was, there were just some very uh, that was a very integral, a pivotal moment where Mm. I no longer felt that uh, um, the I was uh, enlightened. Uh, There was a recognition; it was very intense. and uh a lot of fears and that's when i guess you could say the real sadhana began that was mm. the that was when all everything began to get churned up all the deep rooted conditioning and 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 that type of stuff and so that took uh several years and that began to stabilize so at that point the real inquiry had um uh the i had had come into uh, focus and yeah you know,
0: that's interesting i mean so you went, th- you had this big profound Satori thing, and then you went through mo- nine months of bliss, and uh, you know, and then this stuff started perking, and I mean at that point many people would say, hey, I'm done, I'm awakened, you yeah, know, this is it, uh, but but in a way you're just you know, you're saying, I'm just getting started here. Um, so you went and saw all these teachers, and I, I presume you're suggesting that uh, your interaction with these teachers helped to work out all this doubt and, and confusion that had percolated up, and uh and then, uh, and then you say you really started sadhana so, you, know, you really started self inquiry. Is, is that a fair synopsis of what everything you just
1: said? Very, uh, pretty close. I, I, my, my understanding after being with these teachers is that my belief then was that these teachers were going to somehow be able to transmit the truth to me. Uh-huh. Uh And so I recognized that in the ego, that was there seeking enlightenment. There was a recognition that anytime you seek. To uh, uh, another teacher, in a sense, on a very subtle level, you're seeking to become a teacher. In other words, mm-hmm. you would only seek to um, uh, get the information from someone. In other words, you'd only seek to follow someone else if you wanted to be followed.
0: Huh. You see,
1: that's a very, it's a reflection of my own inner thought. I would only seek someone else, seek, you know, be a seeker if I wanted to be sought. And so I, I began to question the reason for my. Uh, trusting what they were saying over my own inner guidance, my own inner directional voice, and, and I began to doubt, and so then I began to reject those teachers, what they were saying, uh, and and I began to break away from the need for other. And at that point I became very aware of the Self, uh, the, 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 the formless awareness that was aware of it all, and that inner consciousness, that sublime presence then let me know that there was really no need for me to be following that and so however one of the things that happened along the way was uh, the insight the connection with Ramana Maharshi where he then told me to go teach to to share it, and he passed me a seed and uh, the conveyance telepathically if you want to call it that was was that um, to pass the seed of truth on and then I passed it to the person next to me and he smiled and he uh, hugged me, or put his arms around me, and, and that, was, that was it. That was the, the conclusion of that. And from the, since then, there had been several uh, communications, you know. Okay.
0: Yeah, I definitely want to get into those. Um, but I mean, so, but just to wrap up this point about following teachers, so, I mean, you're a teacher now, and, and people are hanging around you, listening to what you have to say. Um, right. How is that any different from what you were doing with those other teachers?
1: right because well there was a sense that there was um my trying to seek them in other words to to be a to be you could call yourself a teacher i guess in the position that i'm in but i don't really consider myself if you will the teacher as much as just the teaching is coming through this body there yeah. there's no sense there's no sense that i am doing the teaching might that um, not have
0: been the perspective of some of the teachers you were visiting
1: most definitely but it but, was so. But,
0: but but your orientation to them was flawed. Correct. Is what you're saying? Correct. There correct. was this. There was this needy sort of I thou kind of a thing going on. Yes. Yeah. And it,
1: and, and there were also very distinct uh, qualities that I had, and and I believe everyone who who goes looking for a guru or a teacher is that they believe they know what the guru is going to be. Mm-hmm. That they have a projection that the guru is going to look like this. They're going to act like this. They're going to have these certain virtues and, and personality traits, when in fact the Guru turns out to be the opposite of everything you thought it was. <laughs> and it ends up destroying all of those concepts that you have, and that really more is kind of like a, uh, um, an ambush, <laughs> if you will, uh, a divine ambush that surprises you and catches you completely off guard by showing up as, let's just say, a, um, a very meek girlfriend, or a mother or father who is very overbearing or, or intolerable. Uh, And they force you to get in touch then with your sense of resistance to those qualities that they're, you know, exhibiting. And so rather than looking for it in the way of um, someone who is speaking to you in discourse or pontification, uh, this became uh, very evident to me that it was more important that it came in a very natural, spontaneous way as, as it pertained to me because I was a school teacher and therefore I was looking for someone to teach it to me in the way that I was taught you know knowledge in a, in a very traditional uh, academic setting and that that's not the way that it was going to be communicated it was going to be communicated very directly through profound experience and insight uh, you know as it pertained to to this particular organism
0: so would you discourage people in general from visiting teachers or would you say more like you know be prepared to have your preconceptions shattered and and you know be open to you know I mean, approach a teacher in a, in a mature way, and, and don't, mm-hmm. don't be sort of, uh, y- y- you know, you have to understand the relationship properly. It's not that there shouldn't be such relationships, but that they should be entered into with a proper sort of maturity or understanding or something. W- would you agree with that?
1: Uh, yes, I would say whatever is, is exactly what's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. And so uh, also be wary of anyone who calls themselves a master, or uh, who allows themselves to be called master in any way to me those are um, those are signs of the superego phase that I was discussing um, one who knows that there is only one master and that's the I am that's the formless awareness there is no such thing as a separate individual master anyone who believes that does not understand the true notion of what self-realization is they're still they're still in that stage of uh, trying to uh, maybe develop a following, or trying to accumulate things. And, and there's this is nothing wrong with this, it's just to say that I am a master, or to allow someone to say that, there is only one master. There can only be one master, and that is the infinite intelligence that runs it all. And it has nothing to do with the form, it has to do with the formless dimension that animates it all. And so this is just there's just a very slight tweaking that needs to occur there. Nonetheless, it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with them. It doesn't mean that they're intentionally trying to deceive. It, it just means that there is a, a, a touch of tweak. <laughs> just, just, just. Who is it that thinks they're the master?
0: Well, wasn't wasn't Christ addressed as master, and perhaps Ramana Maharshi as well? Doesn't yeah. doesn't mean that they had egoic tendencies. It just it means that they were masters you know by which by definition means that they were residing in that universal's you know self as that uh but people see them as you know i mean people can only perceive from their level of percept consciousness you know and and you look at someone like christ and you think whoa he's great but you're not seeing you're not seeing through his eyes you're not seeing him as he sees himself you know which is that universal consciousness right so I'm I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate here and suggesting that th- what you're saying is not necessarily universally true. There may be instances in which someone is addressed as master and yet they aren't gripped by the taint of of ego.
1: Well, this really is going to be uh, very specific as okay. to how you're going to respond to that. Um, I bring this up only that. If someone does find themselves being called that to question and really look and see uh, on a very subtle level whether or not that is the case. and uh, of course, whether or not Jesus um, actually allowed it or not, based on the scriptures that have been recorded, which are at best <laughs> uh, you know very uh, uh, sparse and very Uh, selected and and picked apart and and so that to really say how he would have responded to that statement it's very speculative um, it is and Uh, and I and I don't uh, having had people actually try uh, to establish that kind of a uh, devotee master relationship um, that is something that immediately felt like that's not it yeah, you know that's not the way to go with this with this uh, person. Uh, you know, to establish with them, let us be clear. You can call me whatever you like.
0: Well, I'm not talking about in in, in in your particular case. You know, I'm and and, and also yeah. I, your point is well taken. I mean, there are are egregious examples of people whose egos have just gone berserk when they you know start receiving the kind of adulation that you're talking about here. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I'm just saying that in some cases. There, there may very well have been and are uh, teachers who are sufficiently ripe or mature or, or enlightened or whatever word you want to use that it's not going to be a problem for them. I mean Shankara himself, who's you know the granddaddy of non-dualism, said that said that the intellect imagines duality for the sake of devotion. So, he wasn't averse to the notion of sort of creating a sort of a, an imaginary separation for the sake of, you know, the, the enrichment that devotional uh, practices
1: bring. Um, so, well, this is why I say, uh, as long as when one allows themself to be addressed as the Master, or Master, that they are aware that the Master is nothing to do with the sense of individuality, it has to do with the presence that is the substratum of it, and that that does not occur. Now, this is why I say it has to be um, based on, if there is a sense of individuality that is being addressed during any kind of uh, devotee, uh, guru type of relationship, that if they were to just turn inward and see, just look and check to see whether or not that's the case it's more common i know amongst a lot of zen uh, because the the term master is used very frequently it's also used uh, it was used with osho and uh, you know he incurs the master devotee relationship but, but but osho was more of a deconstructor he was more of a deconditioner than he was an actual leading someone into the actual heart on a large scale marginally yes with very select students or people that he was with but for the most part he laughed at everything
0: hmm. and
1: so again you you know yes are there rare instances where they are but and again uh then yes but but in general if you see the term master being used i would just say you know question who is it that's seeing the master and who is it that's wanting the master's guidance and direction it's it's none other than you
0: know yeah, no, I think it's a really good cautionary note because there've been, you know, it's it's the exception rather than the rule that you find somebody who, you know, is in a teaching position who is able to do, you know, really stay completely uh, established in in the, the, you know, in the largest self, and not let it go to his head to some extent. And in, in Christ's case, I mean, he said, "I and my Father are one." So if he if he was addressing someone, presuming he said that, so if, he's, if someone's addressing him as master, presumably he recognized where that. Respect was actually being directed to you know not to not to him the man but to the father to the, to the to the universal spirit or whatever terminology we want to use which actually has interesting implications for those those other sayings that are bandied about so often that no man cometh unto the unto the father but by me I am the way the truth and the life I mean you know what I is he talking about there. You know, yeah, He's talk, yeah, talking about this yeah. guy walking around in sandals in, in the Middle yeah. East, you know, 2,000 years ago, or is he talking about a, a much larger, you know, more eternal, universal sense of I? Yeah,
1: yes, <laughs> and, yes. And, and, and I. there were times, there was, I mean, there were times when, um, you know, students ask me, you know, they say, so who are you? And I just say, well, I am. And, and so the name I am stuck even with me for a while, and so I am... Uh, you know, which I, uh, this body came to be known by, by those who were not understanding uh, what was meant by that, then you can see where the confusion can be fostered and it can grow. And mm-hmm. if it's not nipped immediately, then it can grow out of control. And this is, if there is going to be uh, um, an abidance in that formless state of awareness, nothing can really be assigned to that formless awareness, not even the word master. Mm-hmm. to even respond to that and so this is why I say if anyone does call uh, someone a master um, you know then then it's it's just as easy to say you recognize that you are right it's really you and to really bring that back to them and because really that's the responsibility is to just not to take credit or not to even uh, feed off of that but to turn back and say uh, your responsibility at that point is to just remind everyone to turn back toward themselves yeah and and to not and to not get caught up even in that uh, devotee uh, attachment that can develop and become very strong and at some points it may be helpful depending on how caught up in let's just say a a different type of conditioning it is in order to break one type of conditioning the other extreme Uh, of conditioning may be necessary, sort of like the thorn that's used to remove the thorn and throw them both out, but to not then hold on to the new thorn, which is, I'm the master, and you know, you're the devotee, and so, you know, go get my coffee. Yeah, right. That that, (laughs) that kind of thing. That's all. Uh, Yeah,
0: I think it's a good point. And, and, you know, what you just alluded to is that one size does not necessarily fit all. There are stages of development, there are stages of teachings appropriate to the people who whoever they are. I mean that, you know, Vedanta, which is of course what we're talking about in terms of non-dualism, means the end of the Vedas. Anta means end. And and the Gita says, um, how does it put it, um, to the enlightened sage, all the Vedas are of no more use than as a small well in a place flooded with water on every side. <laughs> you know, so at that stage, you know, all this, all these different teachings and strata of knowledge and, and all this business, it has been gone beyond but you know but that's not to say that a, a great sage in, in the Vedantic tradition such as Ramana or, or Shankar or somebody would throw the whole thing all the rest of it out I mean Vedanta is one of six systems of Indian philosophy and the others are considered to have their their function at, at particular stages of, of development but they are you know also recognized as not being the ultimate
1: yeah well I like to just keep it very simple and use the first name you know, this way there's no confusion, you know, right. there's, no, there's no you know, possibility of that. And this mm-hmm. is why I say, you know, you know someone uh, talks to, to me, no matter how many years they come and sit in satsang or meditate, whether or not there's even a, a verbal dialogue that even needs to take place, that's really completely up to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, at this point, it's just, hey, you can call me Nick. You know, yeah. the, to make it simple, you, you can call me Nick, but there's no Sir Nick or Master Nick or Nick. <laughs> Shreen, you know, I mean, yes. or, or Nick G or whatever it is that you <laughs> want to put onto your name. This is, all, this is all just a way of creating a lot of fluff around something that, you know, is really not necessary. And it, it allows for the confusion to breed. And, yeah. and if you just nip that right in the butt, right off the bat, and just say, okay, hi, name Jim, my name's Nick great okay hey I like what you're saying let's you know interact and or let's you know if you want to meditate together that's great um, if they want to sit but there's no in other words you're not feeding it and so as long as you you know make sure that you're not uh, feeding it then, then you're good
0: yeah it's good you're, you're not trying to build up a lot of hoopla around yourself you just stick into the core yeah. message which is what it's all about yeah. anyway you know Yeah. yeah, yeah. good yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned that you had, you've had several kind of interactions on a subtle level with Ramana Maharshi, that uh, there were some transmissions or teachings or something that took place. Can we talk about those?
1: Sure. Um, not really uh, much to say in the fact that they were more a look um, and a smile uh, and its touch. Like, in
0: meditation, or something, he would come to you.
1: Either that or spontaneously. Um, I'm, meditation is kind of a difficult word to really describe because at some point, you don't know whether you're meditating or not. You just are. So I'm not really sure at what point meditation stopped. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it just became the natural realization of of what always is. So I'm not really sure whether there was meditating at that time or if there was just a being, and then the, the image occurred, mm-hmm. uh, and it was either at some kind of a conveyance. Um, it wasn't him speaking to me in Tamil. Uh, he wasn't speaking, you know, he wasn't, none of that was occurring. It was just very, I understood in, in his actions, and this was what I felt to be um, very powerful, because it didn't require it. If it had been words some one might be suspect as to whether or not this image coming to my mind was like the one that occurred earlier uh when I became very um you know frightened uh and so at this point, there was none of that this was this communication occurred in a way that could was unmistakable mm-hmm. it was it wasn't something, and I felt it throughout my entire being every you know and so there was no real.
0: And it was just out of the blue, you weren't looking for it or anything? Just No. Yeah. No. And so what was the communication, or, or what what did you get out of it?
1: Um, well, for one thing, to get rid of his, um, um, you know, stop reading. Hmm. Stop reading. You know, and of course, um, not that people shouldn't read, but that there was no longer any need to read. For you? Yes. And right. And so that was, you know, community. also to get rid of the pictures of him that I had all around you know mm-hmm. and, and that type of thing and not that that was wrong either because there's a certain presence vibration that's transmitted even in that you know in that state if for someone who's not able to hold their attention on the eye uh, meditating on a form a gross form uh, until the, the mind is ripened to be uh, sensitive to the more subtle dimension uh, then of course that's necessary but then of course that was communicated so um, there was almost a the way he demonstrated it was like he was surprised that um, that I would still have his pictures up all over the place hmm. and and and, he, and it was almost embarrassing, but it it's got the point across and I, you know and so I took those down and then just and it says you know as soon as the once the outer guru um, is replaced by recognizing the inner guru, there's no need for the outer so that that's a very um, important stage that I feel s- some people get stuck in, um, you know, the externalization and the idol worship and the guru worshiping and that kind of thing. Um, in that, uh, in this is why I say, uh, Ramana, if you will, personified, for lack of a better word, um, the purity of um, not even doing anything not mm-hmm. not doing just realizing that you are always yourself you can mm-hmm. never not be yourself and going at it from that angle and then if someone demonstrates a lack of that capability he would backpedal but he had already covered the root. he had already hit them with the highest uh, and then he can backpedal based on what's necessary he doesn't start with the, he didn't start with the lower and then say well you, he didn't think you were ready for the higher No, he's going to give you every opportunity, if you will, to to grip on to that and to not have to be um, diminished uh, in in understanding or assume that you can't comprehend the very simple truth that, you know, I always am.
0: Yeah, I've heard that about him, that he would sort of like hit you with the highest teaching and if that didn't stick, then he would say, take it a notch down and, okay, how about this, you know, (laughs) and just kind of keep doing that until he found the right fit.
1: Yes, it's, it's such a delight, to, you know, to be in that because there's such a sense of, of empowerment and and compassion, in a teacher that, uh, if you will, for lack of a better word, that that, that recognizes that. Now okay. this is on the level of form, of course. We're talking on the on the subtlest level. None of that makes any difference, but right. because we are talking on that level, then then of course it's, it is a breath of fresh air, um, and if, you know once you've been to Tier of Anomaly Uh, and uh, you've been through the the guru circuit there um, and seen all the different teachers that arrive and and share their teaching it's very easy to get kind of pulled around and led to different uh, uh, ponds to drink. I've
0: heard heard it's quite a scene over there, I haven't been there myself.
1: It's quite an exquisite uh, environment uh, in every way, um, you know, and of course being on Arunachala is a very wonderful and, uh you know experience but uh, but you you can find whatever it is you want there in the way of spiritual mm-hmm. um seeking and also um you know just being there without having any expectation but just deciding i'm going to go live there for a month or two months or mm. a ha- six months and then just staying there and allowing whatever is going to occur to to occur without having any expectations because if you have an expectation then of course the mind will gladly accommodate you by creating circumstances and experiences that will make you feel that that's part of the awakening but but the awakening is has really absolutely nothing to do with experience at all it's it's you know and and it's making that that distinction it's not the experience it's that which experiences it all that which is perceiving it and so this Mm -hmm. is another uh, place but it is it does get kind of in your face there because you will find uh, teachers from pretty much every lineage uh, there.
0: Hmm. Uh, sort of like Alice's Restaurant of. <laughs> <laughs> so how long were you over there?
1: Oh, well, several times. Uh, went huh? several times. Yeah, and stayed hmm. for about six weeks uh, or so each time, and uh-huh. uh, and that was, and so just to spend time there in the hill, and and, and yeah. the first time was to find out a little bit more about the lineage of Ramana after the insights. And then of course I recognize there's a heavy component of um, ritualism which mm-hmm. uh, didn't appeal to me uh, mm-hmm. at any point. I really felt like a, I, I would do that. But I recognize that it was necessary um, for some people to do that. But I kind of got away from that and I just started going then instead of just spending the entire day on the hill. Uh-huh. uh and that was very profound, and I got very sick at one point that may was an incredible point too where um temperature was uh, hundred and four or something like that mm. for for quite some time and um that it, it was evidently necessary for the uh some of the bassanas that were you know entrenched in the in the organism to to be uprooted, but it was I didn't know if it was malaria or what at first but it you know after a while you just kind of you recognize well, you jump under the cold shower and you just want to die at that mm. point and then that was and then so then you felt a, a tremendous release occur in that and so it was just layer upon layer seems to um, unravel uh, in that you know it doesn't have to be there but it certainly seemed to assist in the process for um, whatever level that occurred
0: yeah well you know there have been instances in which uh, sicknesses preceded profound spiritual awakenings, like Saint Francis, you know, we spoke of Zeffirelli, there's that brother-son, sister Moon, which depicted him having gotten very sick and then waking up from that a, a completely different person, so maybe sometimes that's the way a lot of karma gets knocked out or something.
1: Yeah, yeah, there is a lot of, a lot. Of, you become privy to a lot of different dimensions in that uh, vibration i guess you could call it and uh... uh... you know and um not really knowing what any of it is because you can yeah. never, never really be prepared for anything that's going to occur that's why um it's it's important to be aware of the i am and just give attention to the formless awareness and realize that any type of movement in consciousness is on some level a distraction
0: mm. Yeah, actually you know the first time i ever had what i would think of as a spiritual experience experiences when i was a kid and i had a high fever And I uh, kept having this experience of simultaneous vastness and tininess, heaviness and lightness. It was like, at the same time, it was like I was infinitely heavy and infinitely light, infinitely vast and infinitely small, and I was just sitting there in bed with this high fever, like, what, you know, having this experience and thinking, this is so amazing. uh, But it's like, you know, the the fever somehow, as you say, kicked me into Mm. a a different dimension or something. Yeah, Hmm. Mm-hmm. So your first encounter with Ramana was this, uh, you know, okay, get rid of the books and the pictures. Uh, but you said you had several. What, what that was were the, the other?
1: That was the second. The first was the, um, the first one was the um, teach it. Ah, I, uh-huh, I see. And and, and so that. Uh, and then the others were just non-physical. Um, mm-hmm. They were more, they, they, it's very difficult to describe. It was more just a presence, a recognition of a presence. Also there was... Uh, Um, a certain channeling, if you will, uh, if you will, it felt like a channeling, kind of just coming through, where it was almost like he was, um, had come within this particular body, Mm -hmm. Um, and at a time when there was teaching occurring uh, through this body, that presence came within this one to make sure that I did not, uh, because this person was at a very critical stage in their sadhana,
0: the person you were teaching
1: yes yeah that they received it worded in such a way that they could not be misinterpreted and so in a sense he was it was teaching me while he was inside Interesting. Coming, so, looking out, yeah. so, what do you think was actually going on
0: there? I mean, a, a strict non-dualist fundamentalist might, <laughs> might say, wait a minute, Nick, you're, you're getting into kind of, you know, who is, there's this entity, Ramana, that's coming, and coming yeah. inside this entity of Nick, yeah, and that yeah. sounds rather dualistic to me. What, you know, so what do you think was really going on, the mechanics of that uh, phenomenon?
1: Yeah. yeah, well, the whole thing is, is phenomenal. I mean, the whole seeking, you know, finding thing is on the level of, you know, phenomena. Uh, so, you know, there's no difference between that and a teacher sitting across from a student in a classroom mm-hmm. and talking to them. Really it's all part of the illusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, these phenomena are operating on a level that's far beyond our comprehension. Uh, for me to speculate as to why that happened or or to be able to explain to someone who is a, um, you know, a so-called pure uh, Advaitist. Um, you know that can't be explained. Jesus used many you know dualistic terminology as well, and so did other teachers. It's it's really just it's the struggle of trying to explain what cannot be explained. Words need to be used, mm-hmm. and so in that regard, I mean, I can't make any sense of it. All I know is that it was the so-called phenomenal uh, depiction of the nominal reality. Okay. okay. And 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 so how that manifests they do mirror, you know, they are in a constant state of reflecting. And so uh, somewhere, depending on where you find your, your sense of self, you will, if you will, intersect that transmission or that experience. And every experience is based on a, I guess you could say, a vibration. Um, uh, where you're, in, you know, getting in a yogic phrase, you know, that you can interpret that in different ways based on chakras and all that kind of stuff, but really it's all just a, a, a manifestation of the formless awareness. And so I like to keep it as close to that, as simple, you know, as possible. I don't really know why certain things happened. I don't know why, uh, um, why sometimes I even referred to God as Father uh, for a while, uh, you know, it, because that seemed comforting at the time. Uh, you know for whatever reason but there came a time when there was a recognition that you know there's no separation between you and the father to make any you know uh, alluding to the to anything contrary to that would be to go astray and of course but there is a series there are a series of stages that someone goes through before they let go of that um, before those concepts even non-duality is part of a duality Mm-hmm. you How, know, because non-duality and duality are a duality in and of themselves. You know, they only exist because of each other. In truth, uh-huh. in truth there's really neither, there's, because there's all. It all exists within the One. Right. And so, you know, this is where if you become attached to a dualistic perspective or a non-dualistic perspective, you've missed the point. It's really somewhere in between and including both.
0: I love that. You, you couldn't have said it better. Uh, brilliant um and and t- people do de do tend to get a little bit uh lopsided to one side or the other you know and and adamant about it's only this way or it's only that way um and it I think it misses the point that said, and I've said this in several interviews that, that um the ability to embrace paradox and ambiguity is a good measure of one's spiritual development or whatever you know (laughs) yeah beautiful Uh, yeah yeah.
1: well he just he had a a way of stating things that was uh yeah quite quite beautiful what i find
0: helpful is to take the example of a you know common thing i mean take this this cup for instance and on some level there's a cup you know and but then a, a sort of molecular chemist or something might say no, it's just molecules. And he's right, there's there no cup, it's only molecules. And then maybe an atomic, an atomic physicist might say, there are no molecules, it's only atoms. And he's right, too. On that level, it's only atoms. Where are the molecules? And then, you know, a quantum physicist might say, well, there are no atoms, it's only these virtual fluctuations uh, uh, you know, in, the, in the vacuum state. <laughs> and he's right, also. You know, so on all these different levels, you know, the, each has its own level of validity, and one does not actually invalidate the other. Uh, and somehow the, the whole package is each of those things is true, and they're all true together. And they all kind of fit harmoniously without contradiction or conflict, and that's the way the universe is.
1: Yeah, that you know, this is um, an excellent point because part of the realization when it really drives deep is that everything that has ever been said is true, and it's also not true. Yep. You know, so you can you know from that perspective so to argue with somebody or to you know say well you know you're really you know, that it's kind of you have to take one direction and you have to run deep with it if there is uh, an intention let's just say to pound a point home but there really is no individual pounding the point home and uh, but at the same time there is because yeah. there is the appearance of a separate individual who's getting awakened mm-hmm. and so for the sake of the infinite intelligence playing all the roles something needs to occur and in order for that to to express itself in, in in this particular density you know there's a lot of people who get into the spiritual thing and they they get caught up really in the letter of the law rather than the heart of the law and what's important really is is the presence that comes through in what's being communicated and if we if we tune into that state if we tune into that presence and we we recognize we can resonate with what's being communicated rather than let's just say what the the you know the literal translation is you know depending on on what the situation is so this is why um, you know we all have people that would appear to be more uh, present uh, that will come through and they will have a mastery of the advaitic principles and uh... you know maybe can even speak sanskrit you know um, got it all together and yet someone who doesn't understand anything and acknowledges that is in a state of surrender uh... they don't understand why any of it is but they're happy Mm -hmm. and there's a sense of peace and that's really the, the objective that's the focus is to is to be at that point where the intellect is not constantly critiquing and analyzing breaking things down and you know, into quarks and bosons and muons and leptons and whatever it is that goes on, right? I mean, that—that's we can do that, and you could probably make a good argument or a good case, you know, depending on you know who your audience is. But really, if you—the highest uh, um, message is that there are basically two paths, and they really are one. You know, there's surrender and there's self-inquiry. Hmm. Every spiritual path ultimately fails every one of them because ultimately it leads well, to surre- it, beca- surrender. it
0: becomes its own undoing eventually yes, yes. yeah
1: they, they fail because because you will never find the answer you will never find nothing in something
0: right until, well that's but that's in a way that. that's like saying well the boat fails you know it gets you across the river and uh then you get out of it but yeah the boat doesn't fail it's just like it it's it's, it's served its purpose so you get off
1: well there i mean Yes, and, and again, this, this too, for at least this is, you know, um, my perspective on it, is that uh, you can believe that it was necessary for you to do everything that was done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 but then there is also an individual that had to be there in order for that perception to take place, that I had to, I had to meditate for ten hours a day for two years in order for the Satori to occur now that's a speculation um, it did happen that way because that's exactly what's supposed to occur it's perfect mm-hmm. and so if I say well now run around and say okay everything is perfect everything is perfect to somebody who doesn't think it's perfect that doesn't really help right that doesn't really create transformation it's important is to tune into the space to the stillness and so that you can identify with what their dilemma is And having compassion is really just seeing them as already being the Self, Mm -hmm. see everything as being the Self, and by being that, then whatever information needs to flow through your mouth, or in the way of the movement of your body, will happen naturally, without any effort on your part, because your attention is just given to the Self, And, and of course the infinite intelligence knows exactly what that needs. Yeah. And so, as long as there's an individual there, it's like Ramana Maharshi said, it's like the blind leading to blind. If you're trying to teach someone, it really doesn't um, doesn't really support. So this is where being exposed to a lot of different teachings can be beneficial, and, and it can also be a, a hindrance, depending really on on really where someone is. So that's why you know again, say the, the surrender uh, is the result of the path failing. Someone mm-hmm. will try to do everything they possibly can. They will count prayer beads. They will sit in meditations, in whatever they want all day long, do all these things, maybe stand on their head, you know, do some pranayamas, whatever they whatever they do. Ultimately, they're going to get so frustrated that they're going to say, what in the hell is going on here? You know, I'm not getting any closer, and all these thoughts start flooding in, and then there's just like, I give up. And, you know, even Buddha, you know, Buddha's realization didn't come while he was in the midst of his meditation it arose after his complete giving up and waking up the next morning and then the realization was there so you could say well you know he did it didn't he say I was
0: gonna I'm gonna sit under this tree and and until uh, until I'm enlightened and that's it or
1: or I'm either gonna die or until I'm enlightened right so and so then of course the realization uh, comes in the complete giving up and letting go the self-inquiry is even a form of surrender if you take it on because every time you say okay now who's aware of that thought uh, I am you are now giving your attention choosing to give your attention to God mm-hmm. the I am rather than that particular thought right in, ev- in every so you're surrendering that thought you're not rejecting it or resisting it or trying to get a better to a better thought uh, you're saying I don't care what it is uh, who's giving attention to it I am it no longer becomes unimportant what that thought is. And so now you're surrendering to the I. And so whether or not you're surrendering to what your concept of God is, um, that eventually will lead to a letting go of everything else as well. They both all ultimately lead to what's called surrender. And then, of course, surrender really is just being. I would. I
0: just want to sort of bring in a point that we've been skr- dancing around here though which is that there are there is a sort of an appropriateness to different teachings at different stages of realization we were talking about how Ramana would sort of you know scale it back to the point where he found the the appropriate one for that particular person and so you know sometimes you know spiritual teachers will you know they'll they'll be on their own path for twenty thirty years d- doing meditation or whatever they do, and then they'll have they'll have an awakening, and then they'll turn around and say you don't need to do any of that you don't need to awaken uh, because from their perspective it doesn't it it seems superfluous it seems like they've gone beyond it, but I, I would caution that you know just just as you went through all the stuff you did the Jacobson technique and and this that and the other thing, um, it's hard to say what if but. Those, those were all stepping stones for you. Those are all stages. And you finally reached a stage at which all those became irrelevant and no point in having them around. I mean, you, sta- there was a stage of reading Ramana Harshi books and having his pictures around. And then at a certain point, that stage was irrelevant. So there seems to be a tendency in some spiritual circles to just sort of dismiss the value of all possible paths and stages and practices and whatever from the perspective of the mountaintop. You mm-hmm. know, but... But there, are kind of, there is sort of a value in terms of practical advice at each stage of climbing the mountain, which I don't think should just universally be swept aside.
1: Perhaps everyone who's hearing this, Rick, will be at the point where they're ready to sweep it all aside and stay with the inquiry. Perhaps. See, this, is, this is the question that, you know, could this teaching, as it's being delivered here, mm-hmm. come to anyone who is not ready for it?
0: Well, I was just listening to Scott Killaby this morning. I don't know if, who, if you know who he is. He's a non-dual teacher that, I, that I've interviewed. I was listening to a recording of his. And he was citing an instance in which a person who he had come in contact with who had you know really been dwelling on non-dual teachings became kind of depressed to the point of suicidal because he felt that he he, kind of acquired this nihilistic perspective, like everything is meaningless and nothing matters, and you have no free will, and therefore you can't do anything, and and, and you know it it actually sort of was having a counterproductive effect on him, and so it know, appears,
1: so it appears it was having a counterproductive effect. But you know, again, having the faith in the infinite intelligence, nothing is counterproductive. Even if the body were to take its own life, let's just say. That would, in fact, be the destiny of that body, and the infinite intelligence will have, again, succeeded in accomplishing what was necessary at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, For instance, let us consider, um, say, a yogi who experiences a very extreme kundalini blowout, not under the guidance of a proper teacher, and Mm -hmm. his brain is damaged in the process, Mm -hmm. subtle circuitry, let's just say and so he goes through such a process and now his body needs to die in order to take a more better suited one we could look at it and say well you know the you know he should not have been doing it because it led him to die he, right. he received this well then you know where does responsibility fall all responsibility falls in God mm-hmm. it all it all falls in it so if somebody hears something even if it appears that it's not true or it's not right or it's not in their best interest it's always in your best interest, because you will always hear what is necessary given your intention. If your intention is self-realization, then you will be drawn to a teacher who will point you directly to the Self. Mm -hmm. If you're not geared, if it's not the destiny of a certain organism to realize the Self, but let's just say to convey mistruths or non-truths along the way for a period of time before they're ready, then, then every action that, they, that is performed through that body will demonstrate that type of behavior. And so, ultimately, the reason why the self-inquiry is so simple is you just give attention to I. Everyone is aware of I, everyone can be aware of I on a deeper level. And, and so, if they want to you know, dissipate their thoughts toward a lot of different things and believe, that they do need to go through all those other steps then they can but let's just say that you're in Tennessee and if you're in Tennessee and you want to go to let's just say Miami okay now you can uh, and you want to ride your bike to Miami so let's say well okay I'm gonna get every single day I'm gonna ride my bike toward New York and I'm (laughs) gonna get I'm gonna get my legs strong enough so that one day I can ride to Miami Mm -hmm. but all you really had to do was just start going toward Miami and your legs would have gotten strong anyway so you would eventually so again these are all just different ways that the mind can create uh, distractions and say well you didn't need to do it but I mean the whole idea and really the most compassionate thing you can do is assume that everyone can handle the self-inquiry which is the most direct path and see them in that light Mm -hmm. so that that consciousness then permeates their very belief system, their limiting belief system that I need to go through twenty years of asana, I need to master you know, this and and which is really all just a, you know, it's just an egoic ploy to make you believe you have to go through all the certain steps. There really are no steps. There's just I. And 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 there's just now and, and you know whether or not you deliver it in the way a cartole does, where you just say feel the now, you know, become aware of the presence right now, or if you say get hold of the sense of I and just keep your attention there, and you say, well, I can't hold my attention there all the time. Okay, well, that's just a thought. Who thinks that they can't hold their attention there all the time? Or who thinks they need to do pujas for, you know, for three lifetimes before they're ready to actually turn inward? Well, you do, and so, so the I, as long as you get in touch with the I, and you see, all really the sadhana is, from my perspective, is, it's not about what you think about, it's reversing the direction of consciousness. If the mind is externalized and going toward things, no matter what that form is, that is externalized mind. But as soon as you say, uh, turn attention toward self and turn inward, you have succeeded, if you will, at reversing or neutralizing the conditioning, the tendency for the mind to go outward toward those things, which is really the primary focus of the self-inquiry. It's not to ask the question, who am I? It's to reverse the flow so that you can become caught so the eye can become caught in the heart current and withdrawn into the source into the mm-hmm. heart where it then vanquishes and so this is why i say it doesn't really matter if somebody wants to do yoga um you know that's that's great if somebody wants to read the bible you know do all these and read all the different scriptures that's fine just don't forget yourself in the process yeah and 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 so this way it doesn't really matter what kind of spiritual path somebody is on it's not to take away from that it's just to realize that once you taste the bliss of the self those desires to do all those other things they're gonna just fade away anyway they're gonna all drop away so you I'm saying is that you can save yourself the headaches of having to go through all those if you're hearing this and you can just immediately come to the I am and just rest there and then there's no place really for the ego to be fed in doing in effort in doership because that's really the root of the ego is the sense that i'm doing all this spiritual practice and that i need to purify my mind and i need to purify my body no there's that's just a thought the eye is ever pure and and this is why i'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things i'm saying you can bypass it all
0: the eye is ever pure but obviously you know we live the experience of the eye Uh, as a human being through a physical apparatus, through a nervous system you know, and if that physical apparatus is damaged in certain ways we won't be living that experience of the eye at least not in any way that we can express or, you know, communicate or, or, you know, it won't be a living reality, we might be in a coma or something, on some level the eye is there but it's, you know, it's not being lived and, you know, as I see see spiritual practices, they're just a way of fine-tuning that that apparatus through which the eye is lived, uh, like a guitar player is going to tune his guitar before playing it. And I know people who, you know, meditated for decades and and then you know, awoke and don't meditate anymore. They just don't feel like it's relevant to them. I know people who still do it regularly, even though they've awakened and they feel like it's just um, icing on the cake or something. They enjoy it. I know a guy who was self-realized at the age of four and went through and, you know, and now is in his 60s and, was, uh, and has been doing spiritual practices since his teens and still does them. So it's like you can't, one size does not fit all, you know. You're going to find among people all sorts of instances of different situations you know and, and I, I just uh, I'm, I'm leery of making any kind of universal rules or prescriptions of th- this is the way it ought to be and everyone ought to do this you know it's mm-hmm. the, the variety is the spice of life and we've been talking a little bit about God and infinite intelligence and if there's if there's one thing that's evident about that infinite intelligence intelligence is it sure likes variety
1: Yes, uh, and um, I'm not saying that there is only one, I'm saying is that you can do, the body can do whatever it's going to do, but that's not who you are anyway. So as far as the variety right. of life and all these things, those are all on the level of phenomenon, those are right. on the level of physicality, so that's not really who you are anyway. So mm-hmm. by giving attention to the I am, to the self, to the formless awareness, how many varieties of form are there there? and yeah. so and so if we give attention to that then all those other things they may continue to go on until the strings or the tentacles of identifi- identification and conditioning begin to withdraw into the heart and mm-hmm. then you can rest there and realize that it's all happening in you and that you're not really the character in the dream you're the dreamer mm mm-hmm. and so a lot of uh, people again that may state that they are self realized and that they need to and that they still meditate that's fine to say that yet in realization when one knows the self um, there is no such thing as meditation so to even sit in meditation from the realized state it just means you're just sitting there It doesn't mean that you're meditating or not meditating self realization is merging into the meditator where you disappear anyway so Again, these are, these are all very convenient arguments from a neo advaitic perspective, okay, and, and it's very commonly used that I still, every once in a while, like to meditate. Well, just say that you're sitting there, or don't say that you're doing anything, but to say that I still like to meditate, there's still an I there liking to meditate, you see. Well, that uh,
0: that's like what you might say, I like to eat. You know, right. I like I like uh, I like Italian food. That that that, right. that implies there's an eye there liking Italian food. Well, it's it's almost absurd to say that. Obviously, we still eat. You know, from and we have and we have preferences. You know, I mean, from yeah, you know, fine. It's like we said earlier with the cup. Right. You know, on one level, it's there's no cup. Yes. And yeah. on well, you know, on one level there are no preferences. Uh, on the other level, there are. It's like the Zen saying: first there is a mountain, then there is no mountain, then there is and it's it's not all or one it's like both so let me ask
1: then what is the intention of this communication is is it is in other words is it to to bring uh, one into the self and abide there or to sustain the seeking
0: oh i think ultimately it's the the first okay okay
1: ultimately or or would you say i mean is that the direction because because how many directions can we go in at one time if we talk about the duality and externalizing our mind, then mm-hmm. we have to f- turn, you know, we ha- unless we've developed the ability to t- keep our attention in the self and, and for that to occur, then there's no one doing it anyway. Right. As long as there is a seeker, then they have to be clear. Do I, you see, because there is no really waking up. You're either awake or you're not. You either know who you are or you don't. The seeking is all part of the illusion. It's all part of the dream. Mm-hmm. it's not so you're either awake or you're in the dream you are caught up in the dream and as long as you're seeking there is no I'm getting awake you're either awake or you're not there's not stages along the way there are, how about in
0: your case where you had that profound Satori and for nine months you were in a state of yeah you know some kind of awakened state and then but then after a while you began to have all this stuff would you say that you were definitely not awake
1: Oh, at, definitely not that was see that that's the whole the whole thing See, to to the ego, enlightenment is Mm something, it's a thing, it's an attainment, it's an experience, and and so that's the delusion, because no matter how uh, still you may feel that you are, as long as you are identified with forms, even experiences such as bliss, Mm -hmm. kundalini rushes, uh, whatever that is, there's still someone there that's believing they're doing and that's why I emphasize that that was a distraction that was a uh, an egoic tactic Mm -hmm. um, in order to uh, convince you so that the the mind does not continue to in other words to break the sadhana right break to break the, the continuum of turning inward and to break that pattern because again the ego the illusion Maya survives because of the tendency to rehash the old patterns of going out and attaching onto things, and it will make your experiences that much more elaborate in order to seduce the mind, mm. you see, into going back out and taking those forms. But as long as the attention turns back in toward the self, toward the formless, and you rest in the peace of that, see, then when that seeker dissolves mm. in that formless awareness, then the body can, can appear to be doing what it's doing, but the really, even if the person uh, the body, let's just say the organism that inhabits the awakened consciousness, appears to be in meditation. They're not really meditating, right. they appear to be meditating to the people who are outside looking at them that that believe that they're not awake yet. Mm-hmm.
0: And or so- they appear to be eating or walking or talking or doing <laughs> yeah. this stuff, but, uh, for, yeah. for, but from their perspective yes. nothing's happening. Yes. Yeah, no, I got that. Yeah. Oops, that's
1: good on my screen just went off here oh, there we go oh, okay.
0: all right, you look good there. <laughs> so um, what else uh, so do you put this is another blue question but do you um, on some level believe in reincarnation well uh, do, you th- do you think that's a phenomenon that uh, part of the mechanics of the universe well
1: I think it's as real as this reality is okay
0: so if we you yeah. know f- And this reality is, of course, ultimately not real, but to the extent... But it
1: does exist. It does exist, but it exists on the level of thought. Right. And so as long as we identify with the mind, then yes, there is reincarnation.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, When attention is turned in toward the source, then um, whether or not one is experiencing a life now or in the projected hundred years from now or the past, it's really irrelevant because in the now right which is the only place that really exists you see is the formless awareness that's aware of all of this so yes it it does exist to some but again this is a very convenient way that the mind you know if you're a Christian you say there's no reincarnation if you're a Hindu and say there is it's a very convenient way for the split in the mind to uh, to endure Uh, you know the the conflict between the two arguing schools they're both right Mm -hmm. and they're both Incorrect. No. Right. In, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would
0: say that it you know, it exists to the same extent that planets exist and flowers exist and dogs exist. I mean, if you're gonna sort of acknowledge the existence of phenomenal creation, yeah. then there's no reason why that couldn't be part of phenomenal creation. And the reason I brought it up is that I'm I'm wondering whether you've ever considered the possibility that the reason you sort of just uh you know had this spiritual proclivity from a young age might be that you had you know done spiritual practices in past lives or something and developed to the point where at the, in this life it just started to to blossom in you
1: yes yes well that was that was the understanding um at the time that was the i guess you would say the intuitive um understanding that had occurred that the the stream the life stream that you could call uh nick or whatever that was, was uh, it had gone through a series of experiences that you could divide into separate lives, mm-hmm. you know, um, and you could say, well, that he was a devotee of Ramana Maharshi in a past incarnation. You could say that.
0: Did Did you get some inkling uh, of that, or are you just speculating?
1: That was that was a um, that was the feeling. Okay, so you, so you could have time. you could
0: have been around there during his lifetime whatever.
1: Yeah. And now that was while there was identification with form even uh-huh. though it was in on the level of form within the dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, um, now there's a recognition that was all just a movement in consciousness. So I can call it whatever I would like. But really it it can all be reduced to this. The mind when it is moving you see when it is in movement, it creates duality. Mm-hmm. When it's not moving, when it's still, there's not. And so uh, whether or not that's reincarnation or whether or not that's this incarnation or even a future one, um, you know, that, those are all basically lumped into one category. They're all on the level of form. Mm-hmm. So, so in other words, the ego is when the mind is externalized and the self is when the mind is turned inward.
0: Good. That's a nice, w- pithy way of putting it. Yeah, so, I mean, that could, that could be remembered as a sutra, sort of, you know? The, the yeah. ego, ego is when the mind is externalized and the self is when it's turned within.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. easy. And there are some yogis that actually believe they, that each make statements that I still have three lifetimes, I still have four more lifetimes until my realization occurs, which is the, really
0: they … They told you that you do?
1: No, no, that they do. That oh, they, that they, they do, I still, see. That there's really, you know, that that's, they've accepted their fate, Mm -hmm. Uh, and that is just a thought. The Mm. fact that I have three more lifetimes or four more lifetimes, number one, it makes, you know, time in the future a reality which, Mm -hmm. you know, only exists in the level of mind, but as soon all they have to do is say, well, who thinks that? Yeah, I do. And so now you're back at the eye, and so the conditioning begins to to unwind. Mm. And so you can see how if you buy into the dogmas, of the various different yogas and religious systems and philosophies that it's very easy to get caught up in that and that's why I don't say there's anything wrong with those I I just simply point to the fact that whatever it is that you're giving your attention to if you just ask who's aware of that and you turn inward until the conditioning of consciousness begins to find that current there's like a it feels like an inward current as soon as the mind becomes still you can feel that flow that like uh, that movement going inward and to catch that and ride that inward um, then all those different thoughts they really just kinda drop away they have no strength it's like the mm. you could say this the, the the scripture about the burnt rope you mm-hmm. know this and and this type of thing and nothing has any strength it doesn't mean that those thoughts won't occur but they won't have any staying power um, because they're like uh, they're like clouds floating in the air you see through it and once you see through it you're like ah, you know yeah why why am i bothering giving attention to that and and again only if the intention again everything i'm saying here is only if one's intention is self realization cuz some people may say that they want to awaken but really underlying it that's the ego saying it uh you know that's making that accusation really it doesn't want to wake up it wants to seek for a couple of years mm. and you know and and that's fine too it's all it's all good but that's not that's not what i'm talking about what i'm talking about is someone who wants to really find that place and stay there and not identify with that it requires your entire mind the entire mind to be focused on that and this is why suffering is such a wonderful tool of awakening and this is why every spiritual path ultimately leads there
0: gets your attention
1: yeah it does it, because once once you suffered and you realize wow i'm not getting anywhere with this you'll start jumping around to different maybe sadhanas not you in general people will jump around to different spiritual practices maybe different teachers mm-hmm. thinking that that teacher is going to say something that's going to jar them um, and that that's going to be they're going to be the sat guru but really it's the satguru guru within that's allowing all of these thoughts to even emerge into the into the field of awareness for it to be seen and so this is the joke. This is this is the whole humor of the whole the cosmic joke, if you will, is that it's really you. You're always here. You'll always be here, and and so we you know we can speculate on the level of form and and the fun and the games of the seeking and all that. Uh, Satyan Nadine has a pretty interesting book out, you probably heard of it, from Seekers to Finders. It's a, uh,
0: yeah. I haven't read that one, I, I read Onions to Pearls, but I, I haven't read Seekers to Finders. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Where is he these days?
1: I don't know, I haven't, you know, I haven't, I've never met him, I, I've just, yeah. uh, I just uh, saw he him. He came
0: to my town and I saw him speak, but I ought to track him down and interview him, I'll, I'll try to do that.
1: Beautiful guy, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah,
0: he awoke in prison in in South Florida.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as good a place as any, right? Yeah, yeah what the heck.
0: <laughs> so how long have you been teaching now?
1: Well, um, gosh, it's probably been, uh, I don't know, I guess the first student that came, he was in two, one, 1998, uh, but that was not, that was, you know, Pre-awakening, so to speak, that was you know that was when I, I was again making the statement that I was you know awake and that kind of thing running around you know and and uh, touting that. Um, I would say you know authentically, really, seven years, eight years. Okay. Now.
0: And uh, so, what are the fruits among the students you have who have been drawn to you? Um, what kind of uh, outcomes have they been getting?
1: Well, I don't really know. I don't. Um, they haven't I haven't mean, really been focused on keeping them around. My,
0: mm-hmm. my
1: focus is to have them understand the basic principles of, uh, you would call, Gnana, uh, mm-hmm. and, and to understand the self-inquiry and the reason for self-inquiry, and then to let them go. So, so ha- have but have any
0: of them at any point you know, gotten back to you or said, Hey, Nick, I, I, woke, I woke up, I got it?
1: Uh, n- well, uh, my instruction was don't. You don't. don't you don't need to you know there's no one to tell mm. you know once you know once you know then then i'll know okay there there's and so now penelope uh you know she has uh undergone a a shift she lives here and that's mm-hmm. you know very obvious mm-hmm. and so but that's uh but that's a um she doesn't really talk about it or anything mm-hmm.
0: yeah that's okay but you know I, th- I think there's some validity to asking that question you know because it's like as christ said you should know them by their fruits and you wonder all right well uh, what is the efficacy of this <laughs> this teaching you know i mean because sure, sure. you're spending all this time and energy doing it and uh, you know you, you presumably it's for some particular benefit to the people whom with whom you're interacting if you felt mm-hmm. like if they felt like it was of no value to them you would be doing something else or nothing at all so you wonder, you know, okay, well, how many of them are kind of waking up, having the kind of awakening you have had?
1: Well, the last the last one would probably be the closest to the way that I would see it would be that not doing anything at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the not doing anything at all that makes the transmission effective if there is such a thing. Um, in truth, there is no awakening or, you know, and again, on that level, there is no real awakening. And, and, and when you convey from that space, um, you know... Your words carry a vibration, let's just say, that that has a very um, penetrating effect on the consciousness of, the, let's just say, the one that it befalls, but it really hasn't gone anywhere, um, and really it's just a projection of your own mind that you're waking up. And so this is why I say, if someone comes here, it's, that's great, um, and if they stick around, that's great too. I don't tell them to leave. Mm-hmm. And I encourage them that eventually you should replace what you're perceiving as being the outer you know guru if you will with the inner guru and then uh, if you end up leaving and don't come back there's not going to be any hard feelings or anyone who's gonna miss you Uh, you know that's gonna be disappointed by the fact (laughs) you didn't come back it's just it's like congratulations you know if you if you if you're out there and you and you feel like you're abiding in the self and you're feeling that stillness then you just continue to watch the dream and Mm -hmm. it's ultimately us you know me anyway so uh, you know it's the, it's the same witnessing awareness that's you know gonna be looking out of their eyes as well so yeah right. it's nice when people come through because it's it's kinda it's part of the game you know it's 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 part of the fun to to watch someone who's been pretending that they're you know that they're a separate individual realize that they're not mmm uh, is really it's 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 a joyous event i um, so you I'm sorry go ahead but well you know you could you could look at it like this you have a room uh, a massive room full of invisible furniture
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, you know and of course they're um, they're all covered up with um, uh, then you you know you're born let's just say and and then all of a sudden um, uh, people start running around and throwing sheets over them and covering this furniture up and now it appears that they all have some shape, uh, and then maybe some people are around, and so they 're covered up with sheets too, and you have all these so you have some that are running around, covering up everything and trying to give it form and trying to make it visible make it into shape, while you have others that are running around taking the sheets off, awaking them, Mm -hmm. you see, helping them, but then of course the ones that have taken them off, they're running around and throwing them back over, trying to cover them up again, but once of course the sheets come all the way off, you know, then you see then the ones that already have been around without the sheet on, that know the truth, you see, they allow the sheet to stay on, because it's much more effective if you see the ones that are throwing the sheets around believe you see that uh... that you still don't have the understanding in other words that your sheet has never come off so it's more effective to keep your sheet on and to you know be like you're ignorant there's much more effect on those that are still if you will wanting to take the sheet off Mm. and this and this is this is um... very similar to the uh... the story of uh... Uh, Brahma and Maya. You know, part of consciousness is trying to keep the illusion alive. while part of it is trying to awaken. And you see, and that's what keeps the balance. That's what keeps mm-hmm. the play alive. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's a game. And so as long as you realize it's a game and it's all in fun, then you don't take anything too serious. And, uh, you know, you can have a, a fun. You know, who is it that's pretending that they don't know? Uh, but you ultimately you're seeing that underneath it all you're very seeing everyone is already being awake but pretending to be not awake mm-hmm. is the most powerful tool of you know instrument of awakening that there is because to see everyone is the self as already awake causes that reality to, to fall them
0: r- right uh, that what you were just saying reminds me of a verse in the Gita which goes something like um, the wise do not delude the ignorant um, you know while remaining uninvolved or unattached, they they engage fully in all sorts of actions, you know, and, and um, you know what I'm saying. You know that verse. It's it's kind of like, you know, you're playing the game, you're doing your thing, you're you're engaging in activities, whereas your your predominant reality is that you're not doing anything, but you go through the motions uh, so as not to sort of create a division or a delusion in the minds of those who perceive the world as more substantial than it actually is.
1: Yes, yes, and Ramesh has a beautiful one, too, Ramesh uh, Bhaskar. He says that you don't have free will, but you still have to live as if you do.
0: Good point. Yeah, and Ramana said that kind of stuff, too. I mean, he uh, definitely advocated, uh, you know, virtuous action, and, 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 you know, he didn't sort of absolve people of the responsibility to behave in a moral and and compassionate way, just you know, he didn't sort of write the whole thing off as illusion. He can do whatever the heck you want. Mm-hmm. In fact, he he used to like listen to the radio and read the newspaper every day. He was concerned with world affairs and practical matters, and you know, he didn't just sort of dismiss it as a as a a dream to the extent that it was of no consequence to him how things you know how how whether people were suffering or not or what whatever.
1: Yes, yes, yes. It's it's uh uh as far as uh, ramana uh was uh, interested in in these different worldly affairs he often uh used these things in order to formulate anecdotes like teaching uh, tools for awakening and so he it was important for him to to do that not so much that he was interested in what was going on in the world he, but but he used them mm-hmm. uh he it was very it's very important for uh if you will that's if that's the organism's you know conditioning if that's its destiny uh, if you will, its karma, whatever, to be a teacher, then um, to the extent that that teacher is wanting to be an effective teacher, it's important to be connected to yeah. the ones that uh, do not believe that they are awake yet, so that they can uh, correspond with them, so they can connect and, and relate with them. Yeah, uh,
0: wanted to be able to speak in their language.
1: Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. And in fact, Penelope, you know, she's she reminds... Uh, that sometimes that that's something that's necessary uh, when when that is lost sight of uh, <laughs> you know and it, because sometimes it's just like oh, well they don't want to and so she'll you know she has a very soft uh way about her where she'll you know she'll go get them and she'll say no you just gotta be patient you know you've gotta be and there's a certain see now there's the personality uh which has absolutely nothing to do really with the presence that's actually that's actually you know penetrating or doing, you know, whatever it's doing, and so, uh, you, you know, as long as you believe it's the personality, then, then we lose track of it, but as long as you, um, or we believe that it's just occurring anyway, and that these bodies are just forms that are occurring in that uh, awakened consciousness, then it's like um, ice sculptures all floating in a big pool.
0: Mm.
1: You know, it's all made of the same substance, mm-hmm. uh, and, but in the meantime, while it's melting, um, it still can pretend like it's not the water.
0: That's a nice metaphor. I like that. Um, you know how you know how you had the period of you had your satori and you had the period of nine months where you thought you were enlightened or something, and then you kind of realized you weren't. Um, is there any possibility in your mind that there could be another such awakening that uh, that would make you look back on, on, on your present situation and think, "Boy, I thought I had it, but this is even more somehow." you know, clear or fundamental or whatever. Do you think that's possible or are you done?
1: No, it's, well, it's, you know, there's, um, I mean, there's, that was an experience. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, this is not an experience uh, at all. This is more uh, what's aware of the experience. It's abiding in that realization. It's like once you, you may be in the cloud, pretending you're a cloud, and if your cloud changes into the shape of another cloud, you could say, okay, that's enlightenment. Mm-hmm. So as long as you're identified with clouds then you can say okay that one's better than the one I had so that's enlightenment and so as long as you think enlightenment is an experience then you can fall under that misconception and fall into that trap but as soon as you realize you're the sky mm-hmm. then you can't make that misunderstanding again so you, so, it's, so it's, you
0: would characterize your nine month thing as an experience even though it was oh, yeah. even though it lasted so long i mean usually experiences are more they come and go more more quickly than that, you know. You, you, I mean, this was apparently a 24/7 condition, right, for well, nine it, months.
1: It evidently felt it needed to construct a very elaborate uh, retaliation uh, in order to keep uh, you know in order to keep the dream alive. So it, it, it evidently felt it needed uh, that extent. Also, there may there are a lot of different things that can occur within the physiology of the body that prevent it from occurring quicker. It's very difficult to say, Mm. Um, and so uh, um, also circumstances and environments and and that type of thing, where you live, whether you're exposed. Like I was never on the computer uh, or doing any types of external things, so there really wasn't a tendency to really need to externalize much. Mm. Uh, There were resources that were built up where staying inward. Uh, you know, for extended periods of time in nirva-kulpa samadhi, you know, were were possible. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, and so you can sustain the illusion of being awakened by entering into the nirva-kulpa state regularly. Uh, but that's different than sahaja samadhi. Sahaja samadhi Yeah. So there are still some seeds there, uh, and so you know when the seeds are there. Once you realize the uh, truth, of course, there's a there's a, a there's a period of uh, unwinding, if you will, that occurs after what would be considered Sahaja. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's no such thing really with the Nerva It doesn't really happen that way. It's, that's why you know it's an experience. There's still someone there thinking of something and mm. the the nut, if you will, the sense of me that is seen as being oh that's what I thought I was, that me uh, it wasn't just gone, it was seen and then it was not and so is but where is it aware of once you know yourself to be formless awareness and non-resistant of whatever it is that takes place then there's really no need for that there's a knowingness that's mm-hmm. all that's all that really can be said
0: I, I heard a yogi say one time that there are you know yogis in the himalayas who you know are in the, in a sort of a a state like like your nine-month state and you know feel like they've got it and then they when they die they're Quite surprised to discover they hadn't actually been liberated. Um, they just, mm-hmm. but the circumstances of their life and, and and all allowed them to sort of perpetuate that that feeling or the sense of liberation. But it wasn't the final thing, even though they, you know, they thought it was. Um,
1: yes, it's very common.
0: Do you also find though that um, in I mean, do you find any sense of in maturation or enhancement or progress or anything, or is that all sort of like nonsense words to you now? I mean, do you, do you feel like there's sort of a, an, a refinement, for instance, in your sensory apparatus, or or anything else that you the whole? You've referred to the physiology several times as being instrumental in enabling. Uh, any sort of experience to be taking place do you feel like your your physiology is refining in some way now over the days weeks months years so as to enrich or you know clarify or enliven or whatever adjective you want to use um your your experience of life
1: well it would change you know the body changes experiences change um Mm -hmm. but there's no confusion as to the reality Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no sense that uh, that I'm changing. That, that right. Well, I'm not. That, I'm not
0: referring to the the essential eye changing. Mm-hmm. I changing. Mean, granted, that's not going to change. Right. But in terms of the way that's reflected or expressed mm-hmm. in your life as Nick, is there mm-hmm. some? Is is the Nick character somehow still undergoing some kind of um, refinement, which is enabling this character Nick to function more? Uh, in a in a more smooth or profound or, you know,
1: it still learns. Yeah. Uh, okay. It still it still learns and it still you could call it evolves. Um mm-hmm. on some level. Um you could say that the body does go through that series of natural phenomena that occurs. You know, that you could call the parabda mm-hmm. you know, uh karma of the body if you if you wanted to, but um but that's um but that's not my 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 where my attention is uh, right. generally from time to time it occurs you say, oh that's different that's changed or or you know the body does change it grows older it gets gray hairs it, you know, <laughs> it gets a little fatter and you know a little hunched over and you know yeah. that kind of stuff you know but um but it doesn't really uh, you know it has different foods that it likes it grows mm-hmm. through its preferences uh, and that kind of thing but uh but there's not a really a fixation or a rejection or resistance or an attachment to those things okay uh, there are still some uh, predispositions like uh, you know certain foods that that you like uh, that mm-hmm. still that still linger uh, yeah. you know but there's not a if you don't get it you won't linger you may even get irritated if they don't have a certain food that you like at a restaurant if you go out um, and then uh, you know you may demonstrate there may be a demonstration going on that you're very disappointed and irritated, and then within a second it's completely gone. There's no mm. lingering of that, you know, of that behavior so to speak.
0: Or how about if the lions have a crappy season? Does that bum you out?
1: <laughs> well, that's, I, 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 don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know anything. Uh, no, actually it doesn't. No, not anymore. There was yeah. a time, time some not too long ago that it did, though. There was still, still interest in that, yeah. <laughs> well, the re-
0: the reason I brought up the question is that, you know, some teachers say that even after self-realization, there's a further refinement that takes place or that can take place, resulting in kind of more subtle perception or, you know, growth of the heart, for instance, more love, compassion, that kind of thing, even though the self is not going to change any. It is it is what it is and it's realized. There's still kind of a, a, a an evolution of the vehicle, you know
1: yeah there there was um earlier I spoke of a um there's a period uh after what you you could call the shift um the stabilization period and I think that that would fall within that mm-hmm. um it it can of course but that i think those are just personality traits the personality over time uh it it loses a lot of its vigor the when the physiology changes of the body um you know the adrenals change so the amount of uh, you know adrenaline and all those types of things the hormones change all that those are just natural phenomena I think that happen within the body but uh, but the realization is its all-encompassing its complete any type of uh, subtle uh, perceptions they would all just be considered part of the movement in consciousness not in the right. stillness and so um, yeah I mean you could perceive it that way but I don't think that that's enhanced um, by the realization of the self that, you know, would have occurred whether or not the self was realized through that particular organism. Huh. Okay,
0: good. Yeah. So uh, we're kind of reaching a point, I think, which you could wrap it up, but is there anything you feel like we might want to cover that I haven't thought to ask about or anything?
1: Oh, no. Not
0: okay. Very, been very thorough.
1: Good. Very thorough.
0: Uh, so obviously, I'll I'll have this. Uh, it's, well, people can watch and listen to this in various ways. And they, for instance, if they're watching it on YouTube, they might not realize there's a website where you can watch all these interviews I do one a week. And so that website is batgap.com, b-a-t-g-a-p, and uh, stands for Buddha at the Gas Pump. And uh, yes. th- there, I will have. Uh, you know a little bio of Nick and a photo of him and also and you'll send me that bio and then whatever um, links you want me to put in it like a link to your website so that if somebody's interested in you know studying with you or something they can get in touch
1: okay Rick thank you so much Uh, been a real pleasure
0: yeah, thanks. I've I've really enjoyed this, and thank thank Penelope for me. She was you know very uh, well organized and mm. pleasant to deal with in in setting this up.
1: She yeah. she is she's wonderful. Thank you, yeah. and I will let her know. And uh, Rick, anything that we can do, uh, you know, to support you in your um, your business and sharing this with people, uh, mm-hmm. we'd love to assist
0: thanks well, it's not a business it's more of a uh, a hobby but <laughs> maybe oh, a, may, maybe at some point it'll become a business that'll be great
1: <laughs> oh, uh, wonderful yeah. yeah thank you and uh um again uh feel free to keep in touch if there's anything we can do to support you
0: we'll do thanks so next week um everyone i will be um interviewing uh, mandy sulk s o l k who lives in great britain and uh She is also a non-dual teacher. So hope you'll watch then. Thank you for watching and see you next time.